Welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI. Let's Talk Low Vision is a monthly podcast which includes guest speakers, resources, and special topics related to adjusting to low vision. We invite you to visit our webpage and episode archives at cclvi.org. And when you visit that site, you'll find a link to the Let's Talk Low Vision pages. You may listen right there and read the show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in each episode. We have great news for you. This show is now also available on Alexa, Echo, and Google Home devices. Check the webpage for details on how to listen. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision. Tonight, we have a very special evening planned for you. We have two guests um, who both prove that where there's a will, there's a way, and we never stop when we know that we can accomplish something, whether we're someone with low vision, very low vision, or no vision. And both of our guests this evening absolutely prove this and have proven it time and time again. Our two guests this evening are Kathy Schmidt-Whitaker from CCLVI. Kathy has been a longtime member and I think I first started working with Kathy back in the early 2000s on the ACB Scholarship Committee. It's great to have her back with us this evening. Kathy did competitive swimming when she was a little bit younger than today and has completed two full marathons and several half marathons. And that is pretty impressive, actually, considering, you know, if I walk out to the end of my driveway and back, I think I've accomplished something these days. Our other guest is a young woman who we I have not had the opportunity to meet. I'm desperately looking forward to talking with her this evening and everyone else on the call, of course, is welcome to join in. And her name is Megan Hale. And Megan just completed a triathlon. I'm going to let her tell you exactly what that encompasses, because I forget how many miles each one of the three parts were. But it is truly phenomenal. Megan, since you're our newbie, if you will, I want to welcome you first of all. And thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. Megan. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and and then we'll get into all that's been involved in you doing this triathlon. I think it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, so I'm Megan Hale. I am a college student at SUNY Brockport with my degree being in adapted physical education. Um, I'm from the Albany area. I have Lieber's congenital amaurosis or LCA. For me, that means I have no peripheral and then everything shakes like crazy. And um, I also have a guide dog named Hero that I use to help get around. And he is also one of the guiding eyes for the blinds running guide dogs. So he gets to go out for runs with me. Oh, that is, I've heard that the, the guiding eyes had running dogs, but I've never actually known anyone who had one. 
And so you started, tell us what's involved in a triathlon first. So a triathlon is a three-level, we'll call it a sport, (laughs) and it's swimming, biking, and running one right after the other. And then you have to do it within a certain time frame. So you can do some smaller ones. And the one that I just did is an Ironman triathlon. So it's a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike ride, and a 26.2 mile run. Um, And you have it to do it within the span of 17 hours. I don't think I could swim the 2.6 miles in 17 hours alone. (laughs) That's just amazing. How long does it take you to train for something like this? Uh, I started training in August of last year and then just really picked up my training um, in May. And then I did some smaller triathlons leading up to it. I did a few Olympic distances and then went up to a half and then Ironman. Now you did this, as I understand it, you did this with a guide who was a high school coach? Yep. He, um, John Slyer is, was my guide and he, um, used to be a high school science teacher and he's coached people for several years with triathlon and swimming and all sorts of things that I could take up all your time, just listing off all the stuff that he coaches and that he does. He heard through the grapevine, his wife is a teacher at the local school district. And they heard that I was doing Ironman and he was like, well, let's help her out. Um, and he made like a donation to help out with it. Um, some coaching, some strategies. And then later on, because he was here at the house and we were training so often. And I was like, you know, can you just be my guide for Ironman? Cause this with Ironman, you have to be in sync with your guide and you basically have to think alike throughout the whole day. So training with him, Every day made us be able to do that. And so does that mean that he has to, does he, did he actually like do the whole thing with you? I mean, was he like swimming beside you or running with you? I assume you did a tandem bike. Yep. Portion. Yep. Unfortunately, so you're doing the, you're doing the triathlon. The Ironman means that he had to do the, the full, uh, the same thing as well. Right. Yes, that that made it a little trickier for me to find a guide because not many people, A, want to do Ironman and now you have to have somebody guiding you. So a lot of people were like, I could guide you through the bike. Um, But unfortunately, Ironman rules are you have to have one guide throughout the whole thing. And uh, thankfully, John and some other people that I am friends with were willing to kind of step up to the plate and be that guide. It's amazing. And, and you have to do this in 17 hours. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take you to do this? It took me 16 hours, 58 minutes and one second. <laughs> <laughs> one minute and 59 seconds to <laughs> spare. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like to keep I, people on their toes. <laughs> I guess so. I'm sure the spectators... Uh, your family and that must have been really, really biting their nails toward the end there. Yes. <laughs> Before we go on any further, I also would like to introduce Kathy Schmidt-Whitaker. And Kathy has done running and swimming. And Kathy, have you done much biking in between? Can we get you involved in doing a triathlon? 
at this point in your life. <laughs> well, a number of years ago, I did want to do a triathlon. And so, Megan, congratulations. And that is such a great accomplishment um, to be able to do the Ironman. Wonderful. As you mentioned, Terry, I actually, as in my youth, swam competitively and was a middle distance swimmer. So that means that I uh, would swim kind of the 200, 400 distance events, uh, as well as the 100 events. I then about 17, 18 years ago, uh, my husband and I decided to do a marathon. We received a announcement offer to join a meeting for those that wanted to participate in the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's team and training program and participate in the Nike Women's Marathon uh, to raise funds for those individuals that have leukemia. My brother-in-law, uh, the previous year, actually uh, passed away from leukemia. And so we thought this would be a nice tribute honor to him to be able to do the marathon together. Absolutely. So and that so started you, our journey. Mm-hmm. And so you did that marathon yes. with your husband. And then you did a second one as well, did you not? Yes. So it's really the ch- most challenging one is the first one. It's that first time you do it in my mind because you're like, ah, can I do this? Can I really make 26.2 miles? Can I really do it? And once you do it, then you're like, oh, that wasn't too bad. So the second one was not as challenging as the first one in my mind. Also, in terms of the training, it does take quite a bit of training to to work up to doing a marathon. Uh, as well, as, and then even more training, probably for the Ironman as well. But for the marathon, uh, it, take, it takes quite a bit of commitment. And we started training about nine months before we did the program. And it really, you can do it. You, you know, they, uh, team and training said they took, you know, they take couch potato and make you a, a runner or a walker. And we, it, it was great. We were able to do it. And we actually did speed walking. I am not able to run due to my eye condition and retinal detachments. So I have a little uh, low vision now. And uh, it would be um, concerned that if I jarred too much, that I could lose my my eyesight. So we actually did speed walking, averaging about 14-minute miles. So yeah, that, that makes that makes sense. I have retina issues as well, so that makes perfect sense to me. I, well, what I want to do is, if anyone does have any questions of Megan or of Kathy, please feel free to raise your hand at any time during this call, and we will be glad to talk with you. Kathy's iPad. <laughs> this is Kathy Farina. I have a question for Megan. When you were in uh, elementary school and high school, uh, did you have any difficulty getting involved in physical education? Because I'm assuming that you really had to be somebody who, you know, did a lot of sports to begin with to do this kind of uh, race. So have any difficulty actually getting involved in 
in, you know, the normal physical education that most kids do. So there was a little bit of some, a little bit of pushback. A being, I was the first blind student in my school district. So, so many teachers get education about it and they get that one class about people with disabilities. But we all know here that one class is not enough. When I showed up, they were like, oh no, what do we do? And then there was some pushback from other sources where they said, you know, she can't do sports and some people tried to push towards it. So it was a lot of from either the school or outside sources. I can't really speak for when I was younger because I only know from what I've been told. But um, I know that there was some people fighting for me to get into PE and there were others who were trying to push back. But I really didn't feel like I had a voice in PE and a, you know, a sense of belonging until I turned 13. Um, and then I found a camp called Camp Abilities. That's a sports camp for the blind. And that's when like, I felt, I found my voice in sport and was able to kind of speak for myself and not listen to the other voices around me and say, Hey, this is what I need to do track. This is what I need to do to play basketball. And then that kind of barrier was kind of stripped away. And I was more and more into the sports with all my other classmates. And so that kind of also, you kind of proved to everyone that you could do it, I guess. And then some with, all, with everything that you've done in it since that time. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to high school, you didn't, they just kind of learned that they, yeah. had, that they had been wrong to begin with. <laughs> Yeah, well, when I went to high school, they kind of split up the PE into different sections. So you have your strength, your team activities, your lifetime activities, your whatever classes. And so that was when things kind of got a little more evened out. And I did track in high school. So they kind of wanted all of the people who do sports to be in the strength class. Um, so I was in that class. And they were, I was, I had the voice because of camp to say, you know, this is how I need accommodations. And if there wasn't somebody in that class that I felt comfortable with, um, cause it's free weights, there's a lot of things that could happen. So I need to feel really comfortable with somebody and train them very well on how to help me and everything. So if there wasn't somebody in there, I was able to like talk to the coach and they were able to switch me into a different class that would have somebody that I knew in there that could help me. Uh, that makes a lot of perfect sense. This camp abilities that you were going to, is that in New York or? It is all over the world right now. So there is some in New York. The one that I went to is in Saratoga, um, but there's also one in Brockport, Long Island, pretty much anywhere you can think of. And I know there's more coming. Maybe we should have someone from that group on sometime as well, because I just think it's so important, especially for young people. Like, as you said, you learned your voice there mm-hmm. um, through through that. and But that carries over into so many parts of your life. Yes. And I would think that you've probably learned an awful lot about carrying that through into your everyday life in a lot of er- different areas. Mm-hmm. So, Melinda. I noticed you have your hand raised. Do you have a question? Hello. Yeah, uh, Megan, um, I was wondering, uh, how long did, did you stay at the 
Tokyo London Triathlon and uh, when did you uh, when did you start it? So I raced in the physically challenged division. That's what it's called. I'm not a fan of that name. That's just what it is. So I raced with people who have other disabilities. There was two other athletes that have autism that were there, and we start right before everybody. So we started at like 6:30 in the morning is when we start, and you have Once you get in the water, that's when your clock starts. So you have, so from 6.30 until 11.30 is my time frame that I had. And I had a minute and 59 seconds to spare before I didn't make that cutoff. Oh, wow. Oh, so each, so each event is timed? Yes, each event is timed. And you, if you don't make the cutoff for one of those events, then you, you're done for the day. John and I know a lot of people who didn't make certain slots and got cut out of the race. Congratulations. Thank you. Indeed. Indeed. And so the first part was a 2.6 mile swim, I think you said? 2.4. 2. 2.4. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us, what is it like when you get to the, well, in this case, when you get to the end of each event? Can you share with us some of the the sense of accomplishment? What what goes through your head when you realize that you've made it? You have that beginning feeling of you're not going to make it. That's just what everybody has. My guide always kind of told me leading up to it that, remember, you might not finish. You might not finish. Always start knowing that you might not finish. And you know, he would tell me, all right, we're going to do one lap and then see how you feel with the next one. Because everything is double lo- double looped. So we would do one loop of the swim and it was like, wow, OK. Um, I heard my guide yell out 45 minutes and he was like amazed because the first mile, quarter mile and 1.2 miles there was 45 minutes. And that was the fastest swim I've ever done. And then we were like, okay, we're ready for the second loop. And the same thing went throughout the whole day. And then when we had our bike loops and we rode through the village and everybody's screaming for us, acting like they've never seen a tandem before where I think they might have not. But it was, I told my guide, I'm like, I want to go do that again. And he's like, okay, in another 56 miles, we can go do that again. You know, or another 13 miles of running, we can go do that again. The first lap, I always say the first lap was like, this is cool. And then you do the second lap and it's like, well, I have to do this again. Um, and it was really, really hot that day. My guide even cramped up during the bike um, and I had to, he couldn't pedal the tandem. So I had to pedal him up a hill and the bike and myself. And he told me, um, he tells me afterwards that there's like a few people that we passed going up that hill that were just walking their bike. So I bet bet that made some people feel good. Your tandem bike, that fascinates me. There was a time many years ago when we had a tandem. I can't imagine trying to race on it. Purchase, have built, whatever, multi-speed racing bike for this? Um, You can. So the lighter the bike, the better. However, the lighter the bike, the more expensive it gets. Um, Yeah. So I had purchased a racing tandem that was like, 29 pounds but the guide that I bought it for 
she was smaller. The bike, when John got on it, kind of looked a little silly on him because <laughs> um, of how small it was. And so him and I got a borrowed tandem from one of his friends. And that one was ended up just being 40 pounds, um, a lot lighter than most tandems, but not as light as we would like. But we got it donated to us, so we'll take it. And we did everything we could, put carbon fiber wheels on it and did everything we could to try and lighten up the bike as best we could. Because at Lake Placid, that's where I raced, you had 6,000 feet of elevation to deal with. Wow, it's over a mile high. That's interesting. Did you need any other adaptive equipment throughout the uh, the entire event? Mm-hmm. We made a, my previous guide and I, we made a tether for, that goes around our waist. Um, uh-huh. Unfortunately, we, as blind people, don't have a sports shop that we could go to to get tethers and tandems and stuff. That would be nice, but we had to kind of make something up so we have um race belts where you can put like your racing bib on we just got some nylon rope and kind of attached it to the belts so that way i could have for the swim i could do whatever stroke i needed to do john could do whatever stroke he needed to do and then for the run i had my independence to be able to run freely because after 114 miles the last thing i want to think about is trying to be in sync with John's arm. I would think. But on the <laughs> other hand, the last thing you want to do is trip over a branch or some such thing. Yeah. A pebble on the pebble on the road or something. Uh Kathy Casey. Hi, good evening. Megan is a member of our chapter, Capital District Chapter, and I really gotta congratulate you on your accomplishments. It was amazing. We followed you all day. There is an app called the Ironman app, and it lists all the races and stuff and that particular day. And uh, we could actually follow Megan from beginning to end, and it would periodically tell you what she completed and how much she completed. It was just amazing. I was like, oh, my God, I think I was tired listening to that. Um, but it was it was amazing, and I want to congratulate you on that, and wish you luck. Now, Thank now you. the question is: Have you decided whether you want to compete in another one? Um, I have decided to compete in another one. I want to do. Uh, I want to see if I can do Lake Placid again with a with not a one minute and fifty nine seconds to spare. Maybe a little. Uh, maybe a little more than that. Um, but I do also have um, a triathlon in mind that I want to do. It's called Escape the Cape. And you it starts off by you get off on the uh, ferry and you jump off of the boat and into the water. Woo. Wow. Well, congratulations and uh, good luck with your the rest of your schooling and hope we see you. At one of our meetings starting in September, we'll be meeting in person, I hope. <laughs> Kathy Farina. I have, a, I have a question for Kathy Schmidt-Whitaker. I'm curious as to, um, you know, you said you did the, the marathons. Were you somebody who was involved in sports as a young person? Did you have any faulty participating in physical education when you were growing up? 
When I was in elementary school, I did have some difficulty participating in some of the activities um, due to not um, the doctors not wanting me to be around flying balls. So I couldn't play, I could not play the basketball or the base, the softball or the different, uh, you know, um, after the different PE activities. I did begin swimming when I was 10 years old. And actually, when I participated in my first swim meet was when I felt like I had my true voice. I knew who I was and I uh, felt that I was equal to my peers. And that feeling continued throughout um, my life as well. At that point, I actually wanted to focus on swimming and would swim kind of three to five hours a day during my the time I was a comp- uh, competitive swimmer. So I actually opted not to take PE and would uh, would request to have study hall instead of PE as my fellow swim uh, swimming teammates uh, did as well. And it was more because I was already uh, participating in athletics after school and it allowed me time to study during the, the study time, uh, during that PE time. I do feel that there was some difficulty from the school standpoint in terms of really understanding what somebody who is low vision or blind can can do, uh, you know, activity or athletic wise, and um, that is something that continues to be a challenge. Being that uh, low vision and blindness and other disabilities is more of a low incidence community you know, group, and oftentimes I believe that um, people don't really uh, understand that we can be as physically active as everyone else. If we're provided the the environment and the safety in order to feel comfortable to exert ourselves, and that uh, to me is an important piece of it. When uh, competing, when um, exercising, I want to feel and understand where I'm at and the environment around me, so that I can uh, be able to. Um, go at my own pace and be successful and not um, and not run into any uh, any difficulties or barriers as well. And that kind of brings me to one of my other questions that I had for both of you. And that is, have you found through both in school and obviously after that, that you tend to be more team or individual? sports-minded? I think that I have a preference for maybe the individual sport, not because it's an individual sport necessarily, because I like challenging myself and I I loved swimming. You know, I loved being in the water and feeling the water. I, uh, when we, I'd actually, when I was doing the marathons and the half marathons, my husband cited and we did it together. Uh, um, you know, throughout the half marathons and marathons. And I guess you can call that a team sport. <laughs> so we did it together. And and I think that there was value to really doing it together. We had some great conversations during the time period while training and, uh, and so forth. Uh, 
Uh, and I participate in yoga and meditation now and, um, and do some different group activities. However, I think my interests have been more towards those types of sports. And that's what's influenced me more than thinking about, is it a team event or an individual event? Thanks. And Megan, do you have a feeling on that at all? Yeah, I'm kind of agreeing with the same thing. I weaned, so I did track in high school and now I do triathlon. So it's more, I rather more, you like with track, you're on a team, but you're not, you're competing for yourself. That's the best thing with with track and triathlon. What you do gets you points for like your team, but you're also doing a personal, your own personal goals. So when I did Ironman, anything that I did with Ironman, all the points would go to my triathlon club that I was in. So that would help my whole club in the end. And that kind of in a way made me feel good, but I rather a sport more individual based because the only person you have to be is yourself. And then, yes, there are people that you can try to beat. Um, The main focus for me is just trying to beat myself. And let me ask you, what is a triathlon club? Would this be just other people that are interested in doing, doing them or is this? Where I am from and where John is. Um, both of us are part of the Crystal Lake Triathlon Club, and it's a bunch of people that are in our neighborhood or the Albany area, and they come to the local lake here on like Tuesday nights, and we all swim together, or we bike together, or run together, and it's just a bunch of other people to kind of socialize with and get to learn about triathlons with because I I just signed up for Ironman. I've never done a triathlon or a marathon before Ironman. I just signed up for Ironman and went for it. Being able to meet all these other people and be able to know some people at my races, because I'd go to some races and I'm like, oh, I know you. And, you know, being able to have some people that, you know, kind of made it, the nerves and stuff go away. Yeah, so it really does cover a, a lot of... Uh... And a number of areas. Uh, we have another hand raised. Tom Frank. It's interesting. I was going to say, I was going to ask you what your resting heart rate is. And because my neighbor, who happens to be on Crystal Lake, Vermont, is Stan Dunkley. And he was in the 76 and 80 Olympics and cross country skiing. And his resting heart rate was like 39. So after you've done this for a while, you know, what's your resting heart rate? I'm just curious <laughs> about that. As you made, you're in, obviously in tremendous shape. That's a good question. It's probably maybe upper 50s, lower 60s. I haven't really checked recently, but the last, last time I checked, that's kind of where it is. And mine's about okay. 60 as well. Okay, about 60. And what do you get it up to? You must. It must be That's fairly what I high. was wondering. <laughs> yeah, it must be fairly high when you're, you're getting up there. But they're, they're so strong that it probably isn't that high compared to the rest of us. <laughs> For my, my swim, it's about upper, lower 90s. Um, and then the bike, it's like 120-ish. And then the run, it's more like 170, 160. Oh, okay. So it's not too, too high. 
but I try to keep it not too high because then if you have it too high, you're in trouble. Yeah, you're in trouble, right? So, what's your diet anyway on in one of these before before you race and do all of this? How how do you keep your body going? I I stick with a seafood diet. I see food and I eat it. I really don't have any special diet that um, that I stick with. Usually the day before races, lots of pasta, pizza, carb loading. But other than that, it's kind of seafood and eat it. So all of those myths, the rest of this that are tremendously out of shape, we, we think it, our diet makes a difference. If you're actually in shape, it doesn't make any difference is what you're saying. Yeah, because you're going to burn it all the next day anyway. Want to burn it anyway, yeah. If you're swimming, like Kathy was saying, three to five hours a day, that's three to five hours a day you're not eating. It might have something to do with it too, Tom. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just possibly. <laughs> yeah, we have we have special food though that we eat during the race too. Kathy, I, I you know we got talking and I and I don't think we got your answer. I'm curious about your sense of making it to the finish line, getting through the getting through. What is it like to finish a marathon or a half marathon? I think every time that you do something for the first time, there's a sense of great accomplishment. The first, we, we had a goal of participating in our first marathon, but before we did that, we did three half marathons. And our first half marathon was actually in Big Bear in altitude uh, here in the local mountains in California. And um, being able to accomplish that and be and feeling good at the end of the race that we made it with you know felt really good um when completing that first marathon it felt great uh to be able to you know to cross the finish line it was funny uh, we did carb loading the night before as well and in that such that um in because we were part of a group and at that group session, they had a keynote speaker and he was from Runner's World and, uh, you know, a well-known marathoner and so forth. And he said, for all those couples out there, which my husband and I were there, he's like, don't talk. Don't talk between mile 22 and 24 unless you want to divorce. And <laughs> we kind of chuckled and we said, well, gosh, I wonder why. Well, once we got to mile 22 and the, you know, it starts setting in, in terms of some of the feelings you have, you're like, oh, I don't know. This is hurting. Oh, so forth. And it's just a matter of kind of staying positive and pushing through. And, and as, you know, we, we did not really talk very much the, you know, for those two miles. And then once you get closer, you know, after mile 24, you're like only two more miles to go. You know, and as you, the probably the last 0.2 miles is where we're like, okay, push it, you know, go, uh, go harder. What's interesting is that sometimes we play cat and mouse with runners. So some runners will run and then slow down and walk and run and walk. And so we'll kind of go back and forth. So sometimes we've passed people while we're walking and they're our speed walking consistent pace but they're going back and forth but their pace and then at the end they start running well I, because I'm not able to run we we don't start running so we try to build up you know enough speed so that when we get close to the end that we're able to kind of 
push through as much as we can to cross that finish line. And then uh, just once you finish, um, uh, we kind of uh, kind of warming down, kind of working it through. You don't want to sit down right away because once you sit down, it's kind of hard to get back up that time. <laughs> I'll bet it is. And a good ice bath afterwards is is really good to help, um, you know, recover the the muscles. And uh, at that point, I was hungry, so eating bananas and um, I think so, you know, some car- some pretzels and deer- you know, a sandwich and pro- protein and carbs and liquid is always good. But it felt great to, to finish and to know that I had done it. And that's kind of always been my sense. Being from Boston originally, I have watched on on TV. I've never actually been there in person. Uh, I've been there the night after the marathon, but not during the marathon. With the Boston Marathon, which I think is I think it's the oldest in the country. It's some ridiculous number of years, like 136 or something. And you do you often see people getting buckets of water, buckets of ice and. And the bananas, I had forgotten about people often eating bananas right after it. I assume that's for the potassium or something. I'm sorry, Terry, if I could also add one of the things that uh, in addition to, you know, having a sighted guide, one of the things that I try to do is to have my water with me as much as I can. Uh, it, it, during the, the pro, you know, the program, the the race there's oftentimes water stations where they'll hand you gla- cups of water. Well, it's hard to grab a cup of water when you're not able to see it. You know, um, so we, tr- you know, we've, we try, but at times I will actually kind of develop my own pace in terms of drinking the fluids so that I um, will, you know, kind of do every other water station if I need to versus doing every water station. Because that can also slow you down. That makes sense. It's, yeah, just one more thing to carry, but it's sometimes I guess it would be worth it for sure. How, how do you stay hyd- hydrated if you, you don't? Cause you should probably drink a lot of water, right? Yes. And I believe, and you should actually drink quite a bit of water the couple of days before also. So your body has that fluid base and then uh, during and then regularly during the event, even if you're not really thirsty, you should be drinking some fluids kind of regularly so that your body doesn't deplete to the point where you feel like you really need it. And that's been kind of the the approach that we learned uh, and works well um, for me as well. Now, this is just water or Gatorade or anything added to it? I liked water. And then also there's some liquid uh, electrolyte packs okay uh, that you can that's solid or or liquid that you um like gummy bear or shape you know a texture or like liquid that you can also utilize uh that's helpful and there's some you know some things that you can put into your water that will help with that uh, as well donna pomerantz hey there um hi Kathy, specifically, you talked about there are some things you could put in your water that would help. Me not being a fan of water, anything that would help <laughs> would be great. I drink it, but I'm not happy about it. So, like, what do you put in your water that that's helpful? 
There are different flavored electrolyte uh, types of additives that you can add to the water that can help uh, rehydrate and uh, and keep some of the the sodium and some of the different balance in your body. Any type of athletic shoe store or REI or some type um, of sports uh, you know, center will have different types of supplements that you can add to your to your your water while you're participating in sports activities. And that's the type that I like. And and there's different flavors, as I said. So um, there can be if you like the flavor of watermelon or if you like the flavor of lime, things like that that can help improve the taste if you don't like water. Thank you. Thanks, Donna. And Megan, how do you keep hydrated? And I, I would think you need a lot of water on on both the bicycling and the running uh, so, events. So I actually, um, I do carry um, a pack with me, like a water. Um, my guide got me like this belt and it's got two like little water bottles in it. So I'm able to carry it. Um, just in case I need it between the aid stations, because it is hard to grab that drink from the people. Because um, often there's not many blind people in a race, and it's kind of they kind of don't understand that you actually have to hand it to the person. You can't just like point or just stand there with it out. Like you have to say, "I have a cup of water," um, but I don't go anywhere near water to go in my body. When I do my triathlons, I usually stick with Gatorade with the days leading up to it. Um, And then the whole day is just Gatorade. The only time I grab water is to um, dump on my head. Um, And then for the run, the marathon part, we had ice and we like dumped ice down our shirts front and back. And that keeps you cool because that's what gets you to run faster. By by the time Iron Man was over, I was sick of Gatorade because that's all you drink all day because you lose so much electrolytes, so much salt, so much of everything that the water is just not going to help you for a marathon. I've never done an at just a marathon. So Kathy would be able to help you with that one. But for Iron Man, we stuck with Gatorade. And then anytime we had water, it was to dump it on each other's heads and squirt each other with it. Um, to cool off throughout the day. And then you do have these things, they're called goo packets, and they're kind of like sucking down a tube of toothpaste. But when you're running or biking, you don't really want to eat a bag of cookies because that's not going to digest as fast as these goo packets would. Um, So you can get them with caffeine in them. Sometimes they don't taste the best, but you kind of have to focus on the fact that you're getting nutrition rather than the flavor. And then on some of the runs that I've done, they also have Coke for you to drink, which some people who aren't athletes might think that's kind of interesting to drink Coke on the run, but it does help. It has that little bit of sugar in it, a little bit of caffeine that you need, and it's a different flavor than Gatorade. So you're like, oh, thank God, a different drink. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both. I do want to give you each a couple of minutes just to, because we've got like four minutes left. I just, I want to ask you, what's next for you? Uh, I plan on doing more 
triathlons. Now that I've done several, now I want to do more. And several other maybe running races, I haven't picked any particular, but I do want to get my master's degree in TVI. So that way I have my background, my undergrad and adapted PE and my master's in TVI. So that way I can educate more students who are blind, you know, how they can do sports and their school district, if their school district gives a pushback and, you know, they can kind of, you know, use me, so to speak, as a, like someone to look up to. I work at a, I work at camp abilities now as a coach and I get to teach all of the kids about speaking up for themselves and how they can advocate for sports and, you know, they get to see all the things that I do. And that's just what I want to keep doing in the long term is motivating the younger me's to get out of the sidelines and into the playing fields. Well, I think if anyone can do it, it is you. You've just got, you've, you've done so much for yourself and I can see where you definitely will be doing it for many, many people in years to come. Kathy, same question. Mm-hmm. I think the one of our goals is to uh, sign up for another marathon or half marathon for this year. Uh, half marathons tend to be a little bit easier for us to do with scheduling. And then also, I really enjoy uh, helping people to individuals to identify kind of their choice and feel empowered to be active to you know to move get up and move as the ACB campaign is because I think it's so important no matter who it is being able to to do that is critical also it's helpful in if you're interested in getting involved if you're interested in doing a half marathon or a marathon or triathlon check with your local sports store or the um, the shoe store, uh, athletic shoe store, to find out about a local running club, a local triathlon club. There are all sorts out there. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, team and training. Different groups are coming together and they're focused on achieving a goal that, uh, and everybody participates and supports one another. And so if you're wanting some assistance in terms of being able to get out and begin to do something like this, it's possible and you can do it. And so thank you so much. Thank you so much. I want to thank both of you for being with us tonight and wish you both congratulations on what you've already accomplished and the very, very best of luck on all of your future goals. Thank you for joining us on CCLVI's Let's Talk Low Vision. Visit our website for this episode and more episodes of Let's Talk Low Vision, cclvi.org. This podcast was sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.